Hi, and welcome to episode two of the Connext podcast. I'm Lacey Trayball, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. It's part two in a two-part series where I'm interviewing Vince DeLufo, who is an RTI customer, a Connext user, and also a PhD candidate from Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts. The focus of his PhD thesis is on robotics and security. In part one of this two-part interview, we discussed ROS, ROS 2.0, and some of the challenges associated with security and robotics. Now in part two, we're going to expand on this a bit and also talk about the work Vince is doing for his PhD thesis. We hope you enjoy. I just had a couple exploits that, you know, you'd brought up the Jeep. There was another one that was the um, Tesla onboard network, which was uh, exploited on 2015. So what happened in that one? My understanding is they got access to the CAN, which is the um, onboard network, and they were able to take control of the uh, system and exploit it through the um, information system on the uh, user panel. This was the Nissan attack, right? No. Tesla. Tesla. Tesla, too. The the, the first one was on a Nissan system done by UCSD researchers, Um, and and I think they just repeat the same attack over and over. And then you know, so Washington repeated on a Fort Explorer, at, you know, yeah, yeah. going around. So, so there was a number of exploits that occurred on different platforms. There was the other one with the NASA drone. You had brought up the other uh, drone in uh, Iraq. But this one, uh, they exploited it and they dumped out like 250 gigs of data that they dumped out off the drone. Oh. So, and these are... Uh, let's put this, that there was security applied to these systems. They did go through a kind of a, a mature development process, but you still had exploits, and these are considered side channels that people were able to still obtain and control and exploit some of these uh, networks and systems to get information and dump sensitive information off the systems. Right, so... I know that in the automotive industry, almost everything that they do on those layers where security becomes an issue, a lot of it's based on standards. Um, and then also a lot of things that are used, it's their components used by all the different manufacturers, which would make sense as to why if an exploit worked on one, it would very possibly work across a number of vehicles, at least along you know that family of cars, right? The, you have one that owns all of those different brands, and then they're all vulnerable potentially because they... It's, it's only a few... OEM car component manufacturers. Right. So the the vulnerability gets it's very far-reaching. It's not just one company that's usually impacted. How do you test for vulnerabilities and things like this? I don't... It's hard for me to say, like, you know, did somebody do their due diligence, right, when they manufacture these things? You mentioned they have very... Like, they have secure... um, They do acts... They consider security, I guess is the best way to say it. Like, security is not something that the automotive manufacturers are not considering, but... At the same time, is this a combination of it's not well understood, and so they're not testing for these vulnerabilities that are occurring? Like, how does something like that make it through production? So, <laughs> That's so, a little scary. That- so I think you're, you're, um, you're taking the traditional mindset of the auto industry, and they have different networks that work on the car. Right. So different closed-off systems, in essence, were not penetrated from the outside world or communicated to the outside world as we're transitioning to more advanced technologies and now uh, cars having capabilities of Bluetooth, 
uh, wireless call home services. Um, these are more of exploit devices and communication paths that are not being tested and protected. And so when we get into autonomous vehicles, we're layering more technology, more communications that are not being protected in these safeguards. And there needs to be like the security, um, security on computer systems. They have a whole bunch of tool sets for uh, going through pen testing and things like that. The automotive industry has to um, experience this and apply these tool sets to that same notion. It's funny. So you you had mentioned earlier the idea of, you know, there are certain things that will occur that are not security threats, right? But so you'd need to know what to filter out, like be able to tune, in a sense, the security of a system. So I have a new a newer Honda CRV, and it comes with a level of auto- like autonomous driving capability. It, you can press a button, and then if something is in front of the car and I am accelerating towards it, it will take over control and stop me. It will apply the brakes. And it also will like stay within lanes. It has that control. Like I can take my hands out. It was very weird the first time to take my hands off of a wheel of a car. I was while on the freeway, and the guy in the car the from the dealership was like, oh, just do it. It works. And I'm like, just this doesn't feel natural right but so i discovered a fun thing so in new england it snows here and there's junk on the road that gets churned up so you know all these great features they involve sensors the sensor is on the front of the car where the little h emblem is that sensor got covered in junk and my car started flashing the brake warning like your car is going to start braking Kind of. It beeps, like, if you get too close to something and you're accelerating, right? So it was falsely getting information injected into that that was alerting me to this. And that's kind of, at one level, I guess, some of the stuff you're talking about. It has to learn, well, the people doing these things need to learn how to tell the difference and know that's dust on your, you know, on the sensor versus know there's really something in front of you. Or know that's a a lane that you're staying in versus it's, you know, something on the road that isn't actually... A lane. <laughs> like, or what was the one thing I'm it doesn't more like? nefarious if I want to do something to cause your car to stop. Right. It's, I mean, it's a vulnerability that I, yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, as time, we say that all systems aren't 100% secure, right? There's always going to be a vulnerability over time. So through research and, you know, people exploiting these value targets, shall I say, there's always going to be some kind of vulnerabilities. Well, I'm not sure I would want a robotic system that was also capable of autonomous operation to be 100% secure. It's not how stuff like Skynet happens. <laughs> Watch too many movies to want that happening. <laughs> I, I don't think with the bugs we have in the systems now and, uh, you know, the process of software engineering or embedded system design and it's unreliable enough for us, I think, to be always safe. <laughs> so we're gaining benefit from the unreliability. So these are not bugs, they are features, right? Is that This is the way we're going to look at it? For example. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But quality, but not too much. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the bar just high enough to trip over. Exactly. <laughs> like investigating just the concept of security and systems like this and how it would need to be dynamic and tunable and intelligent honestly it can't it's not a solution to be applied like you know download this package install it and run it it's something that is going to have to really be part of the system and 
and having its own, you know, kind of intelligent operation that's occurring in the system. It can't just be blanket applied. Where do you go to look for this? Like, what do I Google? <laughs> well, I think we said that, um, you know, the robotics community and security community needs to come together. But I still think this is a new growth area. So new, I can't be. Google it. You can yeah. take the traditional <laughs> security and and have kind of a, a base background associated with that and then look at the robotics area and have a basic sense of that so you but bringing those together i i don't think there's much literature out there associated with this are you looking into any other areas for kind of inspiration you know while the systems are not identical there may be similar in some principles the current literature that's out there is on adversarial learning models, and that goes back to Berkeley, um, also to a number of the, uh, there's an Italian group that's been researching this, and uh, a couple other people that are starting to um, publish and uh, have different blogs on, on this notion. So there is some kind of uh, early set um Material that's being published out there already on on just the machine learning aspect to this, and that goes back to what everybody's been saying now is that we still need a lot of effort that needs to apply into this whole stack associated with uh, robotics, machine learning, and security being com- combined into overall solution. In individual pieces of the problem are certainly well documented, but uh, putting together the system uh, and understanding the system aspects of integrating all of these pieces together. Uh, the emergent behaviors. Stay, <laughs> stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there really is is no one one size fits all one stop shopping area for for these notions yet. It's um, it's being created as we're uh, as we're as we go. Good thing you're doing a PhD and not just a master's work on this, right? Yeah. I don't think you'd be able to finish in time. <laughs> You've got years. <laughs> you're going to be busy, though. That means you picked the right thing. <laughs> That's success. Like, the problems you can't Google the answer to, right? It's, you can't go on Quora or Reddit and post something even in, like, the right area. Like, there's just no answer. Well, in, in that... in not only the information associated, but they're also dealing with the uh, beta-level code associated with the tool set um, that's kind of limited in functionality and documentation. So there's constraints also associated with what you're trying to build to and and experiment in those areas. So what's the timeline for ROS2? So we're, right now they're in beta? Right now they're in beta 1, so okay. we see... We see the ROS2, we see the RTI security as having multiple releases. As um, bug fixes maturity level comes along, nobody has given kind of definitive dates of when they're going to have a full-fledged product on both sides. It's a tough problem. It's very tough. You're also biased towards what you think the vulnerabilities are, not necessarily what somebody else thinks those vulnerabilities are. Or what somebody else knows those vulnerabilities are because they're actually building the system. <laughs> like, uh, if you go back, let's say, um, 
like Wi-Fi, for instance, right? I mean, when first laptops with uh, wireless connectivity emerged, right, uh, the IEEE Standards Committee got together and, you know, drafted a security standard, the old web standard. And web is, soon as it came out, it came out dead. I mean, the first security person who looked at it said, okay, this is obviously insecure. And um, with any new technology, any new progress, unless... Um, Security people, people who are actually doing this for a, for a living, are involved in the process for standardization. And, and ROS is, you know, one way or another, the de facto standard, right, for robotic operating systems. Right. So uh, unless security people are involved from the get-go and actually influence the decisions that are made in terms of what kind of security features are brought. And, and in this case, it's even more difficult because this is not an established area under security you know, there's so many new pieces, right? Yeah. The autonomous behavior, the real-time system, the machine learning, cognitive layers. And it's not very well understood, I feel like, by any exactly. one of those experts, right? And, and it's going to be an evolution, behavior. but right. from the get-go, we need to help out, you know, with the, secu- the security people need to come in and uh, help out and, um, and give you positive feedback in terms of, you know, how to develop this in the right way. And, and we know it's not going to... Uh, come out right in the first try. There will be hiccups here and there, but as long as we start early, right, rather than waiting for something huge to develop and then later on try to fix it, right, um, then I think we will have a shot. But I also I think the one of the other added benefits of bringing in the security expertise yeah. early on, you know, like when we started doing our secure product, we brought in security researchers, like we hired security people, and yeah. they're working with the OMG group to to write up the DDS security spec and that's what they're doing um but I think one of the neat things that occurs it's like the mutual education between the people who are distributed systems experts right and the people who are security experts that it's not enough just to bring them into one room they actually need to teach each other and learn and build something much better than what would just be achieved I feel like by the sum of the two it can't just be that it has to be better it's good that they're doing that (laughs) because when you consider how they're it's like you know robots are going to be doing everything i'm like i'd really like them to do this in a way that doesn't kill us (laughs) i think we all agree on that yeah like actually there was a um is there a documented case of that occurring yes oh no yes (laughs) then a peacemaker Um, killing somebody yes well um getting hacked they got hacked yeah they hacked a pacemaker actually a friend of mine he's uh researcher at university of michigan now he was big on this. He, he testified in front of Congress too, and you know, they, they ran some attacks. It's it's surprisingly easy to hack into. But earlier or later, at least if you talk about it, you can find a solution and get the companies to move to do something about it. Right. right. But they that, need to that, want. To, they need to know they have to fix it. Exactly. That's the understatement. Is is uh, notification, having the companies do something about it patching their software or their product set to accommodate those exploits. And it's kind of an interesting thing when you're talking about like a device installed in a person, you discover there's a way to exploit this, to mess with the operation of it somehow. And you want a solution that does not involve actually having to go back in that person. <laughs> Cause I'm sure that, you know, you don't want to have to go perform gosh knows how many thousand surgeries to go and fix this. So those solutions are not simple. You're it's a literal like box that you're hopefully not ever going into again. Like a new version of the black box mentality is, you don't get to go touch those people anymore. There's no anything. You have to fix it on the system side that's owned by that company, and that is scary. Where was the exploit 
Wait, what what yeah. layer was that carried out at for uh, the pacemaker? Well, I mean, the pacemakers have, especially the newer ones, they yeah. have wireless ability, right, to right. read off signals, but it turns out you can also send commands and instructions <laughs> to, like, restart and so on. Oh, yeah, no, they, and, they, and they do that to tune the pacemaker, yeah, to tune yeah. the operation, so they, it's a bi-directional data link. It's, right, it's which comes in handy feature. when the surgeons are in there and they're working with it, right, but it, you hope that capability would no longer... Exist most well, you're, I mean, well, your cardiologist will make periodic adjustments in a, fa- yeah, a pacemaker. You still need a. Um, How are those adjustments made? And, like remotely? Yeah. Well, not. I mean, a lot. I mean, lot like of, how remotely? Like lot, in the room or? It's in, it's in okay, the room. so you, you're aware of it. Well, it doesn't mean anything. Right. right. Your vicinity can be faked. Right. It's right. true. I, mean, I can go hide behind yeah. the wall and still pump up the signal. Exactly. You know, going to be perceived as to be a Correct. That's how we get good Wi-Fi signal in the corners of our houses. Exactly. You can buy those devices. Exactly. Yeah, on Amazon. And it used to take a half a million dollars worth of equipment in a lab to pull off these exploits. There were a limited number of people that could do it. Right. You know, now when you can you can order all the parts uh, off of Amazon or out of DigiKey or Mouser, eBay, eBay yeah. uh, and be able to put together one of these systems for hundreds of dollars or less the problem becomes much more widespread so we have advice to people getting who want to get involved in security or robotics or security with robotics where would you suggest somebody young who just thought this stuff was awesome what should they do what fields of study should they consider So I'll start off with follow your dreams and never let anybody tell you that you can't achieve it. Good advice. And then become a fighter and learn that failure is your friend, not your enemy, because you're going to go through a lot of iterations where failure is just going to come about, and that's how you learn. So just be patient about that. Um, As far as robotics and learning, I would start off with robotics kits. Try to get your hands, feet, mind around what it is, put those systems together. Also, you know, things to learn. Uh, MATLAB, Mathematica. Love MATLAB. Wolfram is your friend. Another great one, yeah. Um, For students, that's the best uh, website that uh, helps you get along with some of the answers. Um, Programming languages, C++ and Python are, are becoming... Actually, Python is becoming a very um, big language, especially in the machine learning world. Um, and then Ross has a number of tutorials that uh, you know students could learn off of. And, and YouTube it, has a lot. YouTube is a fantastic. It's awesome. Yes, fantastic. Yeah. Even uh, you know, there's a number of courses on there that teachers just put up there, and great informational to learn things off of. Yeah. And then again, finding mentors, uh, professors, and uh, fellow students. Study groups work well. Uh, just trying to get your uh, notion of uh, helping each other uh, with, with class material and things like that. Very helpful in that regard. Yes, the power of the group. Power of the group. <laughs> so true, though. And failure is absolutely... Or it, it's a requirement. You're not doing it right if you're not doing failure. Failure is going to happen. You don't learn if you don't fail. I think that this kind of you know um, set of society right now, 
they can't fail, they don't want to fail, or somebody props them up to do better. They have to go through that learning um, to do on their own. Well, isn't it the ideal motto to uh, to fail often to succeed sooner? Yeah, fail yeah. early, fail often. That's yeah. yes. true. Well, if you're doing your engineering right, if you celebrate failure, you'll have a lot more parties than if you celebrate success. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It'd be like one party every 10 years or something. Uh. And you need that sometimes, you do. right? It's, it's... Just figure out why it failed. That's the one that always gets to me. Exactly. You can't just let it fail and ignore it, guys. Exactly. You've got to go back and know why that happened. <laughs> That's how you get the things that pop up at the last minute. Who it's like, wait, where is this behavior coming from? Remember that thing that happened five years ago <laughs> that you every, didn't every investigate? Every failure is a learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Connects podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or suggestions for future interviews, Please be sure to hit us up over on social media, and you can also reach out to us at podcast at rti.com. Thanks and have a great day.